Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, believe it by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Nonprofit Coach with Ted Hart, the most listened to radio show in the nonprofit sector, dedicated to helping your charity succeed. It's no secret that combining online and offline techniques is the key to fundraising success, and practical nonprofit management advice is what you need. The Nonprofit Coach with Ted Hart is the perfect landing point to learn from experts around the world who provide advice you can use. Ted Hart is without a doubt one of the foremost nonprofit thought leaders. Also a successful author, his books range from successful online fundraising to expert nonprofit management. Guests on the Nonprofit Coach are leaders in their field who share their insider tips and trade secrets in a conversational style both the experienced and novice will benefit from. Ted lectures around the world, but now he's here for you. From the latest in charity news, technology, fundraising, and social networking, Ted and his guests help you and your organization move to greater levels of efficiency and fundraising success. This is a live call-in show. Add your voice by calling 347-324-3080. After the show, you can find all our podcasts at tedhart.com. Click on radio. Don't forget to dial 347-324-3080. Now, welcome the host of the Nonprofit Coach, Ted Hart. And welcome to this latest edition of the Nonprofit Coach. Thank you for joining us today. Uh, we are also uh, casting live over on Facebook. You can find us at facebook.com forward slash Ted Hart, and we will be sharing uh, the links from today's show over on Facebook. Uh, so find us there. Uh, you can also uh, call in, as the announcer mentioned. Our call-in number is 347-324-3080. Uh, or you can email me your questions at tedhart at tedhart.com. As always here on The Nonprofit Coach, we start with page one news. And first up here on page one news, we have uh, George Hamilton is here with us. Uh, George, uh, you're here to bring us up to date on CFRE International. Uh, what's up and what's going on? Um, well, thanks very much for having us again, Ted. Um, well, first, the, the spring conference season is already underway, um, and CFRE International is, is out and about at major fundraising conferences around the world, um, really meeting fundraisers where they are um, and to have those one-on-one -on -one conversations about the role that professional certification can play in both their career, but also in the further development of fundraising as a trusted profession around the world. Um, so I just came back for the, from the Association of Lutheran Development uh, Executives Conference in Virginia last week, and Eva, our CEO, is currently down in Australia at the Fundraising Institute Australia Conference. Um, and we've got a number of other ones coming up this spring um, where we'll be, we'll be out on the road at, at the fundraising, fundraising conferences where, where the fundraisers are trying to have those conversations that advance certification and advance the profession. Terrific. Well, opportunities for people to interact directly with uh, CFRE. Uh, what are the questions they should be asking when they see you? Um, the types of questions that, that we tend to get the most um, really have to do with how long does this process take me, um, you know, which is pretty straightforward answer in that it can take as long a time or as short a time as as the individual fundraiser needs. It's absolutely free to start the application on our website, um, and it can be filled out over the course of years or a couple of days. Um, it really depends on where they are in their career and, um, and how that matches up with the requirements for, for the certification application. Right, right. So what, what are the, the numbers look like? I know you folks uh, have, uh, at your last update here, shared with us uh, really tremendous growth and staying power for uh, CFRE. 
Uh, well, the, the numbers continue to look strong. We're, we're sort of about two-thirds, three-quarters of the way through the first CFRE exam testing window of 2017, and we're, we're seeing strong numbers of folks taking the, the CFRE exam and, and achieving the certification in that window. We won't have final numbers on that until that exam window closes on the 15th, um, but we've also got a strong number of applications that we're that are coming in now for review prior to uh, wanting to take the exam in the in the next testing window, which will run from April 15th through June 15th. Um, and the deadline okay. for that application um, for application for that testing window is actually April 5th. Um, so the fact that we're already seeing a number of of applications coming in for that window um, is another strong indicator that that there's growing growing acceptance and interest in pursuing the professional certification. Well, that's, uh, that's terrific news, so all of our listeners are encouraged uh, to work on your application and get those submitted by April 5th for the next uh, testing round, uh, and make sure that you connect with our colleagues at CFRE at your favorite conference. Yep, and of course, our information you. is available yep. on our website. Anything else? <laughs> yep, yeah, that's, really, that's really about it. Yeah, at CFRE.org, uh, and we'll be posting that link over on Facebook uh, today. So we look forward to uh, having you back here on the nonprofit co coach, George Hamilton, CFRE International. Thanks very much. Next up here on page one, we have Gabe Cohen. Uh, Gabe, you're here to give us the Guide Star Minute, and you folks have a lot of exciting stuff going on over there. Yeah, hey, Ted, and, and hi to all your guests out there today. Um, we are excited to, to join you today and um, building off of what a couple of the things that you mentioned earlier about Facebook, we've got some pretty exciting news to share with you and your audience about uh, a new partnership with Facebook. It launched in earnest towards the end of last year, and I would imagine many of your nonprofit uh, users have, have heard of it, but Facebook now has a strong fundraising tool that's built into a lot of their functionality, and we were proud to help them launch that. Um, is, this, is this something that you've heard of before, Ted? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, bring us up, bring us up to date on, on what's important for our listeners to know on how they can access uh, this GuideStar Facebook partnership. Yeah, so the great part about it is that it's really a pretty functional tool that can take place in a number of different fashions. Nonprofits can launch a donation through Facebook's functionality on their own pages, through their Facebook ads, um, but they can also enable it so that others can run a campaign on behalf of their organization. So if you're Perfect. just an individual donor out there, and you really care about a particular organization, you can start a campaign to raise money directly for that organization. One of the really cool ways that you can do it is through a Facebook live stream. So you can link a, a live video to a donation campaign and then um, go through the, the video just like you normally would and your users can donate to that cause live while you are recording yourself. So I think that's pretty cool. Well, it's, it's great for transparency and also uh, to use sort of the modern tools of social media uh, to connect with your audience. Yeah, that's exactly right. And GuideStar was excited to work with Facebook on this. It's now available to over 700,000 U.S.-based nonprofits. Um, the other really cool thing that, that Facebook has done is they, they've built into the functionality of the donation tool when you're donating or thinking about donating to a charity through their donation tool, they actually link directly to an organization's GuideStar nonprofit profile to provide users with more information. So this is just yet another reason why it's important for all the nonprofits out there to update their profiles on GuideStar. Absolutely, and, and, and that still is a bit of an issue in terms of the, the number of charities that have completed that profile. Um, so talk to us again, as, we, as you know here on The Nonprofit Coach, uh, we encourage our listeners uh, to complete their profile, and, and it just becomes even more and more important as you're adding more services that connect through GuideStar. Yeah, that's exactly right, I, and I, I think you said it really well there, Ted. Uh, we encourage our users to, to come and update their profiles and earn one of our seals of transparency. They can do that by going to guidestar.org backslash update. And to earn the bronze seal of transparency, which is basically putting some really 
good quality contact information as well as some, some board level and organization level information can take as little as 15 minutes and then all the way up to platinum information, which is the program that we just lost, launched last year, which is uh, the numbers behind the difference that you're making as an organization. So the whole thing can take less than about two hours to earn you a platinum seal of transparency. And then as you said, that information is not only going to GuideStar 7 million users, but it's also going to the tens of millions of users that use platforms that are powered by our data, like Facebook, Amazon Smile, CrowdRise, Volunteer Match, et cetera, et cetera. And, and uh, CAF America, which is the organization that I serve as uh, CEO, is very proud to have that platinum status. Uh, we've uh, posted over on Facebook for this show uh, both information on updating your GuideStar nonprofit profile, uh, as well as a link to the Charities Aid Foundation of America GuideStar profile, uh, so you can see what a platinum profile looks like. Congratulations on getting that seal of transparency. And the other thing that I just wanted to mention is that if the, if you, the nonprofits out there want more information on Facebook's fundraiser tools, they can just go to facebook.com backslash fundraisers to find out more. Terrific. Well, we have that uh, that uh, we have that posted uh, over on the Facebook page again. Uh, thank you for the update here. Facebook again is just a, an, an added benefit of making sure that you have a robust and update uh, updated nonprofit profile over on GuideStar. And as we've shared many times on this show, it, it is about transparency. Uh, and today on the internet, you need to have uh, an independent way to be able to share with your donors information about your organization. And GuideStar, we believe, uh, is uh, one of the six pillars of success for nonprofits online. Um, so Gabe Cohen, thank you again for being back here on the Nonprofit Coach and sharing with us the GuideStar Minute. Absolutely. Thanks, Ted. We'll catch you next time on the Guide Star Minute. Uh, that, uh, that wraps up uh, our page one news. Uh, we're going to uh, uh, move right on over to page two. Now, I'm not going to steal his, uh, his thunder because our good partner, uh, Stephen Nill, uh, from Charity Channel Press is here uh, to make the announcement of our very esteemed guest uh, for our page two expert today. Steve, welcome back here to the Nonprofit Coach. It's amazing to be here, Ted. Thank you. Well, it's great to have you here. Uh, listen, you know, uh, our guest uh, today, which I'm going to uh, have you introduce, uh, Deborah mm -hmm. Kaplan uh, Polibi, uh, who has uh, been here on the Nonprofit Coach, but took us. Uh, since November of 2013 to be able to get back on her schedule. Uh, that's how busy she is. Uh, but I'm pleased to have her here today. So please properly introduce our guest today. Well, I'd be happy to. Uh, Deborah Kaplan uh, Polivi is one of our authors for Charity Channel Press. Um, but before she was our author, she had written an amazing book um, for another publisher called Donor Cultivation and the Donor Lifecycle Map a new framework for fundraising. Um, and when I say amazing, it really got our attention. And so when we had the opportunity to invite Dr. Polivi to write a follow-on book, but this one really more for day-to-day -day practitioners, taking what she wrote about in her first book and making it even more practical for those of us who are in the trenches every day. As a matter of fact, she wrote it for our series of books called In the Trenches. And she wrote a, just a very down-to-earth, readable book that you could pick up, I don't care how busy you are, and take her principles and put them into effect. I'm going to back out and let her explain more about that. But I couldn't be happier to count her as one of our newest authors. Her book is brand new, and it's called The Donor Lifecycle Map, A Model for Fundraising Success. 
Well, it's terrific to uh, to have her here. I'm going to, before uh, you leave, I'm going to actually bring Dr. Polivi on. Uh, Deborah kaplan Polivi. Uh, thank you for being our guest. Uh, that was uh, quite an introduction. We know how busy you are, so thank you uh, for being our guest here today. Um, Steve Nill is still on with us if you wanted to say hi to Steve. Hi, Steve. <laughs> hi there. You know, it's very interesting. You work with these publishers, and you've never met them, but they critique your work. They comment on everything that you write, and yet a face-to-face Steve and I have never met, although we've talked any number of times. We'll, we'll have to remedy to that. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's right. Well, I think, I, I think you know, Steve, Steve is uh, so ever-present in so many different topics. I think uh, there's a lot of people uh, who have that relationship, but he uh, has an eye for talent. And Steve Nell, thank you for taking the time to introduce a true talent, uh, Deborah kaplan uh who is with us. And we're going to move right on uh, to page two. So uh, thank you, Steve. Uh, Deborah, it is yes. all you. The Deborah, the, the donor lifestyle life cycle map, a model for fundraising success. Let's let's start off with because again, you've been our guest here before, but it was a long time ago. Um, and that, uh, that podcast is a very popular podcast uh, in our offering, so there's clearly a lot of interest. Um, but what we do know is that our guests really want to get deeper into your thinking here and understand exactly uh, how they can make this work for their organization. So I was so pleased uh, that Steve um, sort of teed this up by saying that this was part of the In the Trenches uh, series which fits so well here on the Nonprofit Coach because our approach um, is to help nonprofits, regardless of size, be able to succeed. So welcome here back to the Nonprofit Thank Coach. Thank you. Thank you. So give us an introduction for those who may not be familiar with the Donor Lifecycle Map. The Donor Lifecycle Map was not created by me. It was created by a woman whose name is Sarah Clifton. She works out of the Netherlands. And when I saw the model, I was really taken aback because I thought this is a useful, incredibly useful framework for strategic development planning. What do I mean? The donor life cycle map starts with the first gift. And so you have to ask the question, how do we obtain a first gift? But what she then does is add a segment that goes second gift, that's entitled second gift. And that's where I think the key is, because you have to ask yourself, how do I obtain the second gift from a donor? We have so much, we have such a large amount of lack of continuity in giving in all of our organizations that I think the donor life cycle map gives us a framework for asking that question. How do retain the donor? So, for example, let's say you're planning a gala and you have all of these honorees, and you have table captains and what have you, and all of these people bring in new donors. My question is for every development officer, once you have those donors, how are you going to keep them? Because if we don't ask that question, we're scurrying year after year after year to bring in new donors with no plan for um, retaining them. The third sector on the donor life cycle map, and I think these are on your Facebook page, is what she yes. calls second year active. And that's the donor that we, from whom we receive two gifts, but we say, okay, how do we get them more engaged with us? How do we get them really involved with us so that their commitment is stronger? And from mm-hmm. there we go to what's called multi-year active, anybody who's given three gifts or more. Um, many second-year donors will move to multi-year active without going to the second-year active stage. Many will go from second-year active to multi-year active. But, but also, let, let's, let's stop there and let, let's, let's, okay. let's focus in on that first gift before we, we complete the life cycle map as you, as you have outlined it. Um, and uh, Because after that first gift, I think, it is often very difficult for particularly somewhat less experienced fundraisers to know what to do next because it seems that the next thing to do uh, is to just ask for another gift. And what happens, um, and we've talked about this many times uh, here on this show, 
um, is that without a plan, without a life cycle map, without understanding uh, where you need to go, what oftentimes happens is, is nonprofit organizations end up sort of beating the hell out of those first-time donors and those second-time donors. And, and I often try to get nonprofits to understand that I refer to those donors as sort of donors with training wheels. They really okay. mostly have given a gift to get to know you, to invite you in, to evaluate how do you communicate with me? Is it just about my check? Do you care about me? Is there more to you than just what I've, I've seen in the interaction on that first gift? So where you start talking about the second gift and the second year active, I think is extremely important because that's, that's sort of the critical time where you're either going to beat up that donor and lose that donor very quickly, in which case you probably have no chance of getting them to come back, although many nonprofits will continue to email them and direct mail to them for 10 years um, just because they have their contact information, rather than really paying attention to how they're communicating with you, what they're looking for from you, and learning what this donor wants in relationship to their contribution. So help us understand how you get through that critical phase because I think everybody wants to get to the multi-year active, but it's not a foregone conclusion that your donor is going to get there. Absolutely not. And the most important way first is thank you. We all say thank you, thank you, thank you. And I like to say please don't thank you with a template letter. Please say something in that letter that's personalized to the donor, even such as Thank you for your first gift. We're so pleased right. to have you amongst our roster of donors because that indicates that you've paid attention to that individual. You know that this is the first gift. And by the way, that simple line can be changed all the way through the donor life cycle map. Thank you for your second gift. Thank you for continuing to support us. The next piece right. is... And I had this conversation yesterday with an individual. You're helping our organization. I don't think people really care about helping an organization. They want to help the client or the purpose of the organization. So this is what okay. your gift has done. And so that would be the second piece. What I've come to grips with in this book is that, by the way, there are two things I want to go back to. First, the, your page one. All of the social media that we're talking about is very, very critical in terms of securing that second gift and how you respond to somebody who becomes a donor through social media and okay. how you personalize the response to that procurement. Because if you're just going to repeat the same process year after year, the, the donor's going to go, so what, and move on to somebody or some organization that's going to really address not only how the person came in, but, again, um, the impact of that particular gift. So I always that's go right. back and say, look at the source. If it's somebody who's done a social media page, go back to that individual and say, okay, you got all these people for us. How do we, how do we keep them? Do you write them that's a right. personal note? Do you do a personal thank you? But we have to go back to the source, the reason that people made the first gift and try to link that in order to obtain the second gift. I think so one of the I'm, most important things that you said is finding ways to personalize that giving because, of course, the gift is extremely personal to the donor who just made that gift. And the right. last thing that they wanted was feel like they're only a number to the organization even if their gift was not that substantial, you don't know enough about that donor to know whether or not a substantial gift might be possible. So going into the relationship with a great deal of respect and putting the time and energy into that relationship is the job of the development officer. The problem is, Ted, as I've seen in my actual um, consulting in the field, is development officers will say over and over again, we don't have the resources to thank everybody individually. We don't have the resources because, again, that's another tool. Pick up the phone and say, why did you give? Um, and that way, 
Pardon and, me? And that's a, that's a great, or just say thank you, but that's also yeah. in, in, in a very often missed tool. And certainly you're going to do this at a certain level, um, but engaging your board members in making thank you calls. Now, exactly. oftentimes board members have a really tough time making solicitation calls, but for heaven's sakes, organize their ability to make five thank you calls a month. And exactly. to report back to you what they learned. I, I'll, give, I'll give you an example. Uh, we, we had uh, this, I was uh, uh, CEO at, at a hospital foundation. We had this program in place. Um, and a donor had made a contribution. And, of course, it, because it was my program, it was an absolutely fabulous program. Um, right. <laughs> and, uh, but a, a board member made a phone call, and this donor was very, very upset because Someone on my staff hadn't gotten something particularly right. And I can absolutely tell you that if we had not made that thank you call and we had not learned what the problem was and had immediately taken action to correct that, she would never have called and complained. She would never have given again, but she certainly would have complained to everybody that she knew or anybody that was connected to the hospital. So we averted a disaster of not just losing uh, her contribution, but we made her so happy in the correction that she was probably even happier than if we had gotten the original thank you right. And just to add on to that, I would say make sure that that same board member, which takes a lot of work, calls her the next year and say thank That's you right, so much for donating again. Let me go does back. Take work, but there isn't really anything that I can think of that should be taking more of your time than exactly that kind of activity because, just as you mentioned, making it that personal. It's not rocket science to connect no. that board member who is able to make a difference for that donor back to that donor. But it does take organization. But in doing that, you probably have more than moved that donor along the donor life cycle. Absolutely. Absolutely. And then I even take it a step further. If you're having an event, ask that board person to accompany the donor if the donor needs mm -hmm. accompaniment. Let's say it's an elderly person and won't drive mm -hmm. at night. Um, right. these, these tasks give board members things to do that aren't um, threatening, such as, oh, no, I don't, I don't want to solicit. I don't want to solicit. By the end, by the way, the, the board member could be giving a lot more also. Um, That's right. Even if they didn't accompany that donor, just seeking them out at the event and just going over and putting a face exactly. to the phone call and saying thank you again is so powerful. And we'll take it one step further. Even if they don't accompany the donor, I say make your tables around the people that that board member has called. We go to so many events, and there's no set seating arrangement. Or our donors want to sit with, our board members want to sit with each other. Or our staff wants to sit with each other. And right. I've come to grips with the fact that the seating arrangements and the attendance of staff with assignments whom to, to meet, whom to follow up with. All of those things are part of the strategic planning that moves the individual around the donor life cycle map. That's right. And look at all That's the examples right. that we've just given now in a very short conversation. And yet for That's so right. many people, I have so many organizations say to me, oh, we're an informal group. We want people to sit where they want. So they have a brand-new donor who comes in, doesn't know anybody, has come because somebody was honored that they know or with whom, to whom they are related, and no one's taking care of them because it's an informal organization. So I have gotten so many organizations to recognize that seeding is a fundamental cultivation tool. Right. Well, informal doesn't need to mean impersonal. Um, exactly. And it doesn't need to being cavalier, um, particularly when we're talking about and often missed, uh, is that these are donors who are giving of their own treasure and owe mm -hmm. you nothing. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Exa and, and can drop you today and go to somebody else tomorrow who treats them better. 
Well, see, that's, that's, that's what I really wanted to focus on today and is the brilliance behind your donor life cycle is it does give an organized way for nonprofit organizations to think about that donor as more than just a paycheck uh, because we, we just can't say that enough. There is so much competition in the nonprofit uh, um, universe that you, while you think you're unique and you think that your donors belong to you, you have to understand that you are oftentimes not that unique and your donors absolutely do not belong to you. Exactly. Exactly. And that's why I also recommend in this book that we have to change the measures of success because I like to say, aha, what is your actual goal? If you've, and we'll do, you have to use a small number because it's easier to uh, contemplate. Let's say if you have 100 new donors. My, your goal, think about it very carefully, is how are you going to keep 85, 90% of them? What tools are you going to use so that the next one of your measures of success is the percentage of people that you retain through all of those various sectors or segments along the life cycle map? That gives you so many more measures of success than, oh, I raised X amount of money this year. Mm-hmm. And it, as, as has been so well documented, it is so costs so much more time and money to gain a new donor than to retain a current donor. There's another thing about the donor life cycle map that, notwithstanding, we've talked about retention, and we've we've we can come back to size of gift and the donor pyramid and all of that. But I think that once one gets to or even from the very beginning, our thought process is not only retention, but moving this donor along. So, yes, we want to keep them at second gift. We want to move them to multi-year active. But we also want to get a certain percentage to be our um, major gift donors. And even from the beginning, thinking about how we move these donors, at least as part of our framework, to what I call an ultimate or an endowment gift donor. We're not looking at that, I understand, at the first gift, but the framework gets us thinking about it from the very, very beginning of our relationship with a donor. And I think that's really important. It's so important, and and it really cannot be mentioned enough in terms of the role of a development officer is is not just to ask for money, uh, but more importantly, I think, it's to organize the relationships that are going mm-hmm. to support and do support the organization. Exactly. Exactly. One of the things that I did find, and I'm going a little forward, is um, coming back a little bit, I, as, again, what I said is most of the people that I uh, met with in the field, or I trained in terms of this model, would say to me, we don't have the resources, we have to focus on major donors. Major donor was such a driving force in the field. How do we bring in new major donors? How do we keep major donors? How do we move major donors up to give us more money that all of the rest okay. of the donors were almost forgotten? And that's right. Well, and, and, where, and where, where, where do we honestly think major donors are born? <laughs> You're right. Are, are they, major are, they, donors. are they literally just sitting around at home waiting and hoping that some organization they've never heard of before, they've had, exactly. never had any connection to, will call them, email them, or send them a direct mail? That's simply not the case. Uh, and with major donors, and, and we'll get a little bit more in, in, into that topic, with major donors, what is often forgotten uh, with, uh, with major donors is that they tend to be very sophisticated uh, and they are solicited often. So the competition is even greater for major donors because they see how others are soliciting. So if you don't get it right and you don't make it personal and you don't pay attention to the donor life cycle uh, map, you're not likely to have long-term success. A, you're so right. Um, B, what I have done in this book um, is how do you define a major donor? 
And as far as I'm concerned, whatever your level of major donor is for your respective organization, I define a major donor someone who is given three times or more. Because it's somebody may give you a major gift because their best buddy is being honored or their father or their mother. But unless you can retain that gift for three solid years, it really has no impact on your bottom line because you have to get it replaced and replaced and replaced. Once again, you're scurrying. So I'm very deliberate into how I say that that major donor doesn't even reach the major donor segment of the donor life cycle map, in my mind, unless he or she or they have been retained at least three years. Now, that's a very important factor. The other thing Mm -hmm. when you talk about how, you know, people think that major donors are lying around, I've had more, I've heard more development directors say, oh, let's look at major donors to other organizations and see how we can attract them to us. And Mm -hmm. they think that because someone's a major donor elsewhere, they're automatically going to become a major donor herein. And that doesn't make any sense. Well, all that they see is the dollars, what they're not taking into account, and, and as you and I know, it's the most important factor, is the relationship. Um, and so if you're, if, you're, if you're only approaching it as a paycheck, um, then first of all, you're not going to retain them because they're, sophisticated donors are going to see right through a phony um, so you're not going to get them to the multi-year active, which is where you want to get them. Um, and then we want to con- continue and talk about the donor life cycle map and getting them to major or, or stretch giving. Um, but you're not going to do that without putting an emphasis on relationships. Exactly. And then I always say spend your time moving the donors you have to major gift instead of living in an excuse of vernacular, never, never land, think you're going to bring someone in because he's committed or she's committed to another arts organization that, um, oh, okay, they're going to come and be a major donor in my arts organization. It doesn't work that way. And, and, and as you and I both know, it's, it's not a bad way to prospect. It's not a bad way uh, to identify someone who may have an interest in your topic, but, but assuming that somehow – they're going to just pick up their allegiance from an organization they're already connected to and, and shift it over to you, it probably borders on fantasy. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And I think one of the tools in prospecting, as you say, how to bring in a major donor, is definitely you know who in our, our board, who in our organization knows him or her. Let's see if we can develop a strategy – for at least introducing them to our organization with the assumption that we just want to get that first gift and then maintain the donor and maybe move the donor to the major gift. But you're absolutely right. It's a a way to bring in a new donor, but not a way to spend a lot, a lot of resources. That's right. That's right. Um, Deborah, we're going to take a very quick break, and when we come back, I do want to use the rest of our time to make sure that we complete the circle um, and that we share with our listeners what's, what remains in the, the life cycle uh, map um, before we end the show, and we're going to um, take a very quick break. Life, it's busy. Wouldn't it be nice to have a central place where you could save what's on your mind? With Google Keep, you can stay on top of your world by quickly and easily organizing everything you want to remember. No matter where you are, finalize door list for Thursday's gig. So when you find inspiration, you can file away your ideas And Google Keep stores them safely across all your devices. And when the time comes, you'll have everything covered. Save what's on your mind. Google Keep. Get out your calendars. We just want to remind you of the upcoming schedule. Uh, Next week, we will be on break, so it's a great time to get caught up on literally hundreds of free podcasts 
that are available at tedhart.com. And of course, you can uh, uh, download those to iTunes and listen to them anywhere that you would like or listen to them uh, right online as well. We'll be coming back live on March 7th. Anthony Alonzo uh, will be here and picking up on our conversation uh, with Deborah today. Our focus is going to be on phone calling for donors and how you can get that first-time donor, renew those donors, and bring them along uh, the life cycle. So a great compendium uh, here to um, today's show will be the March 7th show. So don't miss the opportunity to learn how your phone campaigns uh, can be even more successful. Remember, our podcasts and archives are always available 24 hours a day at tedhart.com. Click on radio links. If you're listening live today, the phone lines are open. Call in and ask a question by dialing 347-324-3080. Now, back to the Nonprofit Coach with Ted Hart. And we're here live with Dr. Deborah Kaplan-Palevi. She's a fundraising development consultant and an author. Uh, Her newest book is part of the In the Trenches series at Charity Channel Press. You can find that on Amazon, and it is called The Donor Lifecycle Map a model for fundraising success. So, Deborah, before we went on break, um, I, I wanted to ask you, let's complete the circle. And, and so we, we've, we've taken a look at and we've moved along uh, the circle to uh, the multi-year active. Um, so we've been successful. We got through some of the stumbling blocks that you and I talked about in detail that can really trip you up and, and make it really almost a waste of money on that first gift, second gift, if you don't get the relationship right. But, but now you have, and you have a donor uh, who is showing um, staying power, is more active, then what? Then we have them at multi-year active, and the goal, obviously, is to move them to major with stretch giving. Major giving is defined by every organization differently. Stretch giving I love. Um, That's Sarah's uh, comment. And when I once asked at a workshop, how do you define a stretch giver, somebody, somebody said to me, it's somebody who can't pay the gift all at once, and they stretch it out. And I love that. Mm-hmm. Um, on the other mm-hmm. hand, a stretch giver is somebody who is communicated to a development professional or to a board member. I am incredibly committed to your organization. I may not be at the major gift level, but this is a stretch gift for me. This really is hard, but it's really based on my support. And then the final uh, piece is lapsed, uh, excuse me, is ultimate giving. And ultimate giving is the, um, the, I always think of it as the endowment gift. When Sarah Clifton designed the model, she always looked at it in terms of a bequest and a will. I look at it much broad, more broadly than that. It's any kind of planned gift. It's any kind of outright endowment gift in support of a program. And I've come to the fact um, through some colleague uh, discussions, collegial discussions, that it's also a transformational gift. Because any donor can have more than one ultimate gift. They can have more than one endowment, either whether it's planned or outright, and more than one transformational gift. But it represents an amazing commitment to an organization to make that ultimate gift. For, for the organization, but also exactly. transformational for the owner or the donor's family. So talk, talk again uh, about the personal aspect of someone making a gift, because it, I, I think it almost goes without saying, although you can you know, respond on that if you, if you want to, um, that a gift like that matters a lot to the nonprofit. Um, but how do we make it even more personal um, to the donor who is giving that very large life gift? You know, every donor wants to be recognized in a a personalized way. Some donors want to be anonymous, and it always amazes me, but they really do. Um, Mm -hmm. But some donors want an incredible amount of recognition. And what I've always done in that that, um, case is to talk with the donor. How do you want this recognized? Do you want your family involved? Do you want to be? Um, do you want this to be part of our annual report? 
Do you want it larger in terms of a newspaper article? Do you want to be um, honored at a gala for this gift? Because whatever you do, you can never surprise your donor. Your donor has to be a part of that plan. That's A. B, um, when we talk about the tools to move a donor to those sectors of the donor life cycle map, obviously they're very personal. They come through an incredible amount of discussion with a donor. Oftentimes the donor is part of the planning process. The donor serves on an endowment committee. The donor serves on a committee that's planning whatever this transformational program is within the organization and gets excited about it and makes that first and oftentimes challenge gift to get others involved also. So part Mm -hmm. of the role of the development officer is to strategize how to move that donor, because they've now come to know the donor, to the point where the donor is ready, able, and excited about making the gift. That's right. That's right. Let me let me give you a, a, an example of why it's so important to listen uh, to the donor. So I, I had uh, we were engaged in a very large campaign with an organization that I was connected uh, to, and the and the focus was cancer, um, and it was such a large goal that everyone in the organization knew that we really needed to reach out to every donor to identify um, donors who would give to that campaign, or the goals could not be met. Um, and I had one particular donor who w- had some interest in cancer, more interest in seeing the campaign be successful uh, than in cancer itself. But as I started chatting with him and, and, and learning more about him, uh, what I learned is that his mother was a very strong influence um, in his life um, and that she had recently passed away. Uh, and that, that her life advocation, if you, if you will, um, was um, music, uh, and it meant a lot and had a, had a big role in her life. And what we were able to do is instead of sort of shoehorning him into this preconceived cancer program, um, is to identify a music therapy program uh, that he became very excited about uh, and endowed um, the program uh, in his mother's name. And, and he gave more because it was personal uh, he certainly would have given and did give a gift to the cancer effort, but nowhere near the level of support that he gave um, because it became very personal. Exactly, and I think we've all had those kinds of individual relationships. I also once had to go the opposite. I once had a donor who wanted to do make a gift in honor of her parent who was a violin player, and she wanted to have a concert every single year in memory of her father. And I was able to say to her, do you know how many concerts we have? If we have one more, we don't even have a calendar to put in any more concerts. But here's what we really need, and we needed a program for children with learning disabilities. We needed, and nobody was interested in it. And we were able to show her through bringing her on site to various uh, programs that were already in existence but not at the level that we needed them to be. And so that Mm -hmm. on-site visit, we listened to her. It wasn't useful to us, and we were able to change her perspective a little bit by the on-site visit, the one-on-one relationship with us. And I felt good enough with her that I was able to say, you know, we have to move this in a different direction, which is a whole well, other I, role for a development officer in that listening process. We don't always have to take the gift that right, the donor wants. Right. We have to make a, a we have to make a, we have to serve as matchmakers. That's right. Well, and and what you're you're raising, I think, is a very important sort of second edge to that coin, um, because oftentimes, you know, when when uh, there's training on development. You know, it's the, the training is on the listening side of listen to your donor. And, and some people are better listeners than others. Some are more active listeners uh, than, than others. But what you're bringing up is, is the equally important other side of that coin, which is educating the donor. Exactly. Um, and while we, we, certainly, we certainly want 
um, to understand that the um, the donor is it's their money. They don't owe us anything. So we certainly want to uh, give them every deference to how they would like to see their money used. At the end of the day, we also understand that they care about the organization and want to see the organization succeed. So part of our job is helping them understand what those needs are and then try to marry the two together. You know, let's go back to the donor life cycle map where we began this entire conversation. All that you and I have discussed throughout this program are tools. I call them cultivation tools. They're all tools to move the donor around, whether it's the thank you note, where it's the personal telephone calls by the board members, whether it's uh, coming to the actual program and learning about it. But those are all tools that I call as part of the strategic planning process to move the donor around the donor life cycle map, and that we have to be very cogent about our employee of these tools. Ted, the one thing we didn't get to, and what makes this book different than the first book, is the imposition of the donor pyramid. So I don't know if you want to go there. Um, yeah, it well, is absolutely. A we, picture. we have, have about nine minutes left, so uh, that okay. should be plenty of time uh, for okay. us to, because I, I think you're right. I think uh, having the donor pyramid uh, and let's make sure that our listeners, some some who may be new to the profession, understand what the donor pyramid is, but but how that fits within the the donor life cycle map. And that's the difference between my new book and the first book. In the first book, I just talked about the donor life cycle map, how you use the cultivation tools, many of which we have um, highlighted here, to move the donor around to ultimately get to that endowment or transformational or whatever that major gift is at the end. Um, what I learned from taking that model into the field, that once again, people were so uh, fixated on the donor life cycle, on the donor pyramid. What is the donor pyramid? The donor pyramid is where we have major donors on, not excuse me, we have many donors on the bottom giving little amounts. So that's your the bottom of your pyramid, your lowest level, to the tippy top where you have your major donors, very few of them, but giving the most money. <clears throat> excuse me. And as I said in this conversation, I couldn't. I wasn't able to permeate that mindset of, okay, we'll do a few things to change the way we cultivate all donors, but we have to put all of our resources into the major donors. And what I came up with is that if we take the donor pyramid, and you have that on your uh, Facebook, you have one of those um, pyramids. If you impose the donor pyramid in each and every segment, and you develop your cultivation tools based on the pyramid, you will be able to meet the feasibility, you will be able to address feasibility and major donors and retention. Because here's the example. Let's say from that gala you have a $50,000 donor or a $5,000 donor who's giving because of the person that's honored. You can use very personal cultivation tools talking to him personally or her personally, going to meet with them, telling them more about the organization, offering them a tour. You may not be able to do that with all of the people on the low end of the pyramid, but you can do a very clear cultivation strategy which says thank you for your first gift. And you may want to build, as you go up the pyramid, a different strategy. So, for example, someone doesn't give you a major gift but gives you a pretty substantial gift, what is the tool that we're going to use at that level? And I think where our field is today, with this very clear focus on major giving, that if we take each one of these segments and we differentiate between the level of the levels of giving, we'll meet the needs of some of our development officers out there because we're beginning to say, yeah, we're worried about retention, we have limited resources, how do we expend them on the different level of first gift, second gift, et cetera, around the donor life cycle map? Now, the only That's place right. well, I find – go on. Well, I, I was, was just going to say, and it also 
helps you diversify your work in a mature giving program. Because I, I was with an organization once where a board member, uh, you know, thinking, you know, very strategically about fundraising but knowing nothing about fundraising, looked at the statistics that you just noted and said, oh, I understand. What we'll do is we're just going to do planned giving because the payoff is so much greater on planned giving. We're only going to do planned giving. Well, the, the problem is, is that you don't just jump to planned giving when there is no relationship. So it takes all of those efforts to build the kind of relationship over time that then can benefit the organization with planned giving. The only place you're right, and the only place that I find that the model that I just um, presented to you where it doesn't work so very well is on multi-year active. Because I find that on multi-year active, even the people on the lowest end of the donor pyramid, they may be your ultimate giving donors. And so you may want to be very, very um, sanguine as to how you approach them. You may have a whole different cultivation program for the people on the low level of the donor of the multi-year active than you do for some of those on the higher level because the higher level you want to move to two places you want to move them to major or stretch and ultimate to ultimate gift we're on the low level you're pretty clear that they're never going to get to major or stretch but you still want to move them to ultimate giving and so that's a very important piece of this strategic planning process Mm-hmm. And it doesn't mean that every single donor that you identify is going to complete the, the, the life cycle. So it, it, there is a capacity um, issue here, but it doesn't mean, as you pointed out, that the donor isn't valuable to you if they become a lo- loyal donor, even at a lower level. Um, again, because of the value of people giving time and time again over time uh, versus the cost of identifying a brand new donor who may or may not stay with you for a long period of time. Exactly. And I find so many donors, when I say to the people with whom I work, start looking at your Excel spreadsheets or whatever you use from the bottom up instead of the top down. Look at the small gifts, but how many years people have been giving them. And what can you... Yes. It's so often missed where you know, you're focused on you know, that last $10,000 or $100,000 donor, and not to say that you shouldn't be, but you lose complete sight of the fact that you have a $100 or $250 donor who's been giving loyally for 10 years. And you never say thank you to them. You never say thank you so much for giving for so long. You never invite them to an event because your events are all geared to the top-level donors and moving people into that major gift. So I always said in the days that I worked as a development officer, we never even got down to some of those even um, mid-level group of donors because we were so focused on the top 25, the top 50, the top 100. And and I look back, and I, I really do flagellate myself for being so naive and mm-hmm. not understanding that we had all of these people that we could have invited to a special event, maybe in one of our programs, had them have a lunch, have them meet some of the, whether it's the school, the students, um, and think, aha, maybe I do want to establish a scholarship program through my will. Maybe I do. And you never know until you have the opportunity to, to ask those questions. Deborah, I, I'm, I'm sorry to move you. Uh, fascinating discussion, and just as you were uh, years ago, a fantastic job. We've only got about 90 seconds left, so uh, okay. can you make sure that my listeners know how they can reach you? Well, you can reach me through my website, www.debracaplan. I think it's, excuse me, debrapalavi.com. Um, and probably that's the easiest way. Deb Paul at AOL.com is my email, D-E-B-P-O-L at AOL.com. And I think those are the two best ways. And Perfect. the book and is available posted, on, pardon me? On Amazon. 
Uh, and the, the book, book is available. available. We have posted a link to your website over on Facebook.com forward slash Ted Hart Great. with this show. Thank you. And the book is available Deborah, through Amazon.com. Oh, sorry. You got it. No, you're absolutely right. Books available at Amazon.com. Deborah Catherine, and Charity Katie. Channel Press. Thank you so much. Don't forget for Charity Kate. Channel Press. <laughs> and a Charity Channel Press as well. Uh, thank you for being my guest here today on The Nonprofit Coach. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure and fun. You've been listening to The Nonprofit Coach Radio Show with Ted Hart. Tell all your friends to check out our production schedule and download our iPod and iPad-friendly podcast at tedhart.com. Thanks for listening to The Nonprofit Coach. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW group. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.